Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. That requires precision on my part. It requires clear, concise advice that you can act on in your life. And so that's what this is about. That's why we do this. But there are times you feel that the information I give is incomplete, inaccurate, just wrong. And that's why we have the Clark Stinks Forum available to you at Clark.com, where you can let me know where I missed the mark. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares them with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. So, Krista, where are you starting this week? Clark, you don't stink, but I would like to know if the advice you gave is valid. A couple of weeks ago, a caller asked where to sell his old CDs, and you recommended some places to sell. But wasn't it a copyright violation to sell used CDs? The caller already paid for the rights, and he used it. If he sells his old CDs at cheaper rates on eBay or in some marketplace, in my opinion, he violates the copyright agreement of the author. I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Regards, Prasanna. So what an interesting question, because later in history, after compact discs were developed, there was a digital, um, co- the digital rights, what's that, Millennial Digital Rights Act, or whatever it's called, that, that governed your rights with digital media. Compact discs were always considered to be a portable form of music that you were free to sell if you wish, to someone else. You may remember if you dial back in time, there used to be a lot of music stores that sold used music, and you'd go in and you'd look through the compact discs and you'd buy them. So you could come in as a seller, sell them to the store, they would mark them up, sell them to another buyer, buying the music cheaper than retail. So I don't think the Digital Digital Copyright Act, or whatever it's called, changed any of the rules for that. If it did, I'm not aware. Clark often mentions that Robinhood allows users to make stock trades for free. This should have set off alarms for Clark. Here's an article describing how Robinhood is making money by selling the stock orders to high-frequency traders. Quote, high-frequency trading firms are use, are paying Robinhood over 10 times as much as they pay to other discount brokerages for the same volume. On Wall Street, there is no such thing as a free lunch. So what the poster's referring to is something known as payment for order flow, which behind the curtain is a very controversial practice in the investing community. And uh, there are companies that are involved with investing that say they do not pay for order flow. There are others that are silent on it, which means they probably are paying for order flow. As for you as a, a customer of Robinhood, what Robinhood does not behind the curtain, but in front, is they do, in fact, provide a small investor the opportunity to invest at a much lower cost, basically with trades nominally for free. And they also make money in other ways where if you choose to do something called margin, there are other ways they make money. But what Robinhood has done as a platform, I think, is great. The problems with the conflicts of interest in the investing community is 
a ridiculous problem. There's a lot of other things that go on in that area that are pretty technical that I don't feel I should talk about right now. But one of the SEC commissioners just issued a very strong statement about the way investors are being manipulated by the stock exchanges and being ripped off by them. And so there is some ethical cleanup that does need to take place on Wall Street. Couple of Clark's things about your comments on United. Here's the first one. Clark, I've got to give you a Clark stinks. You claim that United Airlines beat up that doctor, in quotes. I hate the airlines as much as the next guy, but that claim is blatantly false. United called, I believe it was, the Chicago Transit Police on him. It was the police that roughed him up. There's plenty to bash United about without distorting the facts and falsely accusing them. I'm a fan and love your show. Never miss a podcast. Go Eagles, Mike. Is that a Boston Eagles fan, you think? Or Georgia Southern Eagles? Or Philadelphia Eagles? Or there are so many teams with Eagles as their mascot. So whatever Eagles team you're for. Yeah, Krista. (laughs) Go Boston Boston College College Eagles. Uh, So uh, on the United thing, yes, it is inaccurate to an extent when I say United beat up the doctor. The reality is United caused that whole situation. The the um, security people never would have come on that plane if United had not handled the situation horrifically with an oversold flight. That was all on United. There's a problem in United's culture. It comes up again and again. And that was a spinoff from me talking about United's president, Scott Kirby. Which is the next Clark Stinks. So I'll wait for that. Okay. Clark went off on Scott Kirby concerning his comments about families having to pay to sit together on United. Clark thought this was terrible. I don't agree. I read the original Kirby interview and he was talking about the basic economy seating. It's very clear on United's site that if you want to use the cheaper basic economy, you have to purchase specific seat assignments if you want them. If a family cheaps out on basic economy, they're going to have to take the chance that they won't get adjacent seats unless they pay for it. What's the problem with that? Personally, we won't fly basic economy because I want to be sure my wife and I are able to sit together, so we pay extra. Parents with kids need to do the same thing. All right. Interesting post. Let me give an update. So United has gone to a new system for advanced seat assignments that even if you're not on the trashy basic economy... If you don't have status on United, you no longer can get any seat assignment in advance except a center seat without paying an upcharge. In addition to paying a higher fare for regular economy, you still can't have a seat assignment for anything other than center seats unless you then pay an additional fee. Now, I want to draw a contrast with Southwest Airlines, the nation's largest domestic airline. Southwest has a special procedure in how they board families so that they can virtually 100% of the time guarantee that families are seated together. And it works beautifully. And other airlines, if they actually cared about families, would come up with a policy that didn't cause additional anxiety. A lot of people find travel uh, makes them anxious. I love traveling. I love airports. I love the whole process. I even deal fine with delays. But that's not most people. And you're, you're to, unique. And Scott Kirby <laughs> Scott Kirby shows a heartless, cruel, cold, 
mean-spirited attitude towards children and families. And Scott, you should be ashamed of yourself, not proud of yourself. Clark, you received a call from someone who had illegally used a photo on their website and now had received a demand letter from the photographer's attorney. You immediately jumped to the conclusion this letter was from an attorney who trolls the web looking to threaten copyright violators for money, and you advised the caller that the damages were limited to the fair market value of the photograph. You also told the caller to just tell the attorney that it was a mistake and that he didn't mean to use the photo. What happened to the Clark we know that is always standing up for the small business owner or the photographer in this case? As a photographer myself, I routinely search Google Images for unlicensed commercial uses of my photos, and I have had to hire an attorney on multiple occasions to protect my work and my income. Copyright infringement is a federal crime, so I can't just trot down to the local courthouse and file a suit in small claims court. If this case went to court, just the filing fee for a federal lawsuit is hundreds of dollars, not to mention the attorney's fees. If the photographer registers his photos with the U.S. Copyright Office and the infringement was deemed willful, damages can become statutory and can jump into the six figures in extreme circumstances. The fact that the caller's webmaster copied the photo off one website, then uploaded it to their website, makes it extremely difficult in court to prove this was a mistake or an accident. I would suggest to the caller that he ante up to taking income from the photographer and then try to negotiate the settlement down to a few hundred dollars. People all need to realize that every photograph is copyrighted. Even when you take a quick selfie with your smartphone, you're now the proud copyright owner of that photograph. I appreciate everything you've said there. What is different about your situation, your post, is the caller we had had received a letter from one of the known internet trolls that are uh, high-volume law firms that specialize in this area that specifically target people who potentially inadvertently took a picture. As an example, if you go look on images on Google, there's a section that allows for reuse. And a lot of times, in good faith, people will take an image from that section that Google has filtered and will use that and not know, not realize that that was, in fact, a protected image copyrighted by a professional photographer. A lot of this is inadvertent, not actually someone intending to do harm. The most important thing for you to know on your website, if you have a website for your business, is you want to use original pictures that you take or someone else takes, even with your smartphone, so that there's never an issue that you took uh, clip art, as it's most often referred to, that you were not legally entitled to use. So I appreciate all your posts. And President of the United, Scott Kirby, I've been so harsh on you for years, even back when you were another airline. You are welcome at any time to come on the air and have your say, just as anybody else can. But man, you need to think about your heart. And if there's something you want to post here, I'd love for you to go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and let me know how I can serve you better. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kathy. How are you doing today? Okay, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So let's see if we can move you from okay to fantastic after we talk. All right. What's going on? Well, I've been looking at homes and looking at homes and looking at homes and can't find what I like. And thinking about just buying some land and building, but 
I don't know where to start. I don't know what I don't know. Well, the first thing I'd say is if you ask 10 people who built their own home if they would do it again, unscientifically, I would say probably eight would say never again. It's uh, Unless you have a background in construction, it's a very complicated process to build your own home. And at, at a time where... Uh, so, you know, subcontractors and workers are so scarce, it's very hard for you to get people who are going to show up for a onesie, you know, for your one home when they could work for a production builder who they know is going to have work for them every day, day after day, month after month. So I'm going to be as negative as you'll ever hear me about you jumping in with both feet building your own home. Because okay. if it's about you finding nothing that really suits you and you think, I'm going to build what suits me, it's got to be not about money. It's got to be a situation where you can handle surprises, delays, disappointments, and cost. Because when you build your own custom home, on your own land, it's a more expensive adventure than a home that you buy that already exists or that is being built in a development where there's the efficiencies of building one and another and another and another. So is does money matter in this case? Well, money always matters. <laughs> but in but for you, are you are you in a position that you can afford if it's an ah well and the cost is higher than you anticipated, higher than you expected, is that something you can absorb and it would be just like a shrug of the shoulders or is that a real factor in your life? Well, my thought was that uh, I would have a maximum budget and come up, start with below that for the estimated cost and have a cushion in there. Now, if it exceeds that cushion, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be very uncomfortable with that. So I will tell you that when you build your own home, expect it to take twice as long as expected and cost at least 20% more than budgeted. Okay. So I, I don't want to even sugarcoat at all. I mean, listen to me. You know how positive and upbeat I am, what an optimist I am? Mm-hmm. And you haven't heard one positive optimistic word out of my mouth right correct so i i want you to have no illusions that this is in any way easy to build your own home and it's much much more expensive effectively per square foot than buying something that's already there how much too much do you dislike what you're seeing available for sale I honestly have only found one house that I thought might be acceptable. And believe me, I have been looking for a year, maybe, well, maybe between six months and a year. But I've only found one that I really liked, and it was about $75,000 more than I wanted to pay. Okay. So if you're talking 75000 get ready for... Uh, adding a lot of money to that for constructing your own because the effective cost of 
construction per square foot building sticks up now new is much higher than what it would cost you to buy an existing home and not even in the same universe so what i would like you to do is before you go down that road is look at a lot more houses because if you start today with land you own have an architect draw a house for you start bidding it out it's likely to be two years till you'd be in that new home with the unknowns of what it would cost how reliable the contractors and subs would be that gives you some breathing room of time for you to be patient keep looking and find what you really love great to have you here on the clark howard show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours this is a big day for me it's the day security freezes are free now across these united states and this shows all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off and people ripping off your identity is a problem that first came on my radar early last decade probably about 15 years ago it didn't even have a name yet and then identity theft became a major issue in the united states and then became a lifelong worry for two-thirds of american adults approximately after equifax's gross negligence led to last year's massive data breach where the amount of money that is uh, amount of information which translates ultimately into money the amount of information available on two out of three american adults is so thorough so complete that we have to assume that we are vulnerable to identity theft the rest of our lives but wait it gets worse there's a new report out from krebs on security which these people are the best in america at knowing about uh, data breaches and problems internally in companies before companies are even willing to talk about them yet there's a new report from krebs that there are now uh I use the word services loosely. There are now uh, criminal enterprises, in my opinion, that will, no questions asked, sell you typically for around $40, sell you the full chapter and verse of personal information on people, including their social security number, without anything other than the most basic of information you might have on somebody if there was ever and they get the information immediately so they don't even have to have information from you from a data breach these people who were selling the information instantly can create a problem for you so if you needed yet any more reasons to be paranoid and to proceed with a credit freeze for you and for your family members the time is now because it is free it is free to freeze it's free to thaw and now nationally you can freeze a kid's credit why a kid's credit my kid doesn't have any credit well the problem is identity thieves are going after the identity of very small children 
to create a new identity for themselves. And you generally don't find out till a kid hits age 18. With the ability to freeze a kid's credit that at this point doesn't even exist, you're able to protect your child's identity, again, for free, till they reach adulthood. The process of doing a credit freeze is really easy. Uh, there were virtually no people in America that had ever done a credit freeze until the big publicity and fallout from the Equifax breach last year. Congress has still, and the, the feds have done nothing to bring Equifax to the table for the harm they've caused, such great harm to our nation. And who knows in a corrupt Washington if anything will ever happen on that score. But at least we now have the credit freezes being free. Now, if you go to Clark.com, you can look at my credit freeze guide. And now it's a much simpler credit freeze guide. We used to have to do it state by state. Now it's just a national policy, really easy and streamlined for you to know what to do and how to do it. I want to warn you, the credit bureaus are going to try to con you into not putting a credit freeze in place. They're going to try to get you to do something at base that you would do on your phone called a credit lock. A credit lock is vastly inferior to a freeze. The credit bureaus want to do that, get you to do that, because with a credit lock, they are still able to make all the money they make from building their dossiers on you, packaging up your information, and without your knowledge and without your permission, selling off your personal information from your dossier they've developed again and again, endless times, because that's really how credit bureaus make their money. And you choke that off when you put in place a credit freeze. But a credit freeze is a much better strategy, a much better way to protect your privacy. Now, when you do the freeze, when you set it up, do not lose ever your code that they issue you. Each bureau issues you a code, and that code is what you need when you want to apply for credit, start new service with someone, whatever. If you lose that, you're not able to proceed with borrowing or proceed with new service with various organizations until you wait a multi-week process to have a new code issued to you and sent to you. So put these in a very, very safe place where you will not lose them. DJ's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, DJ. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, DJ. So you're a pharmacist. Yes, sir. Recently graduated. How do you like it? I love it. I love I love what I do. That's great. You know, uh, some people in pharmacy seem to be burning out a little from the pressure of how many prescriptions they have to issue per shift and the hours, but you're doing exactly what you should be doing, I gather. Yeah, it, it, it gets tough sometimes, but uh, it's, it's always for, uh, for the help of somebody else. So that's the, that's the way I look at it. Were you prepared for how many people think you're a doctor somehow and they come up and they ask you about every illness they could possibly have? 
Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. Um, I usually just have to refer them out just because I'm, I'm not specialized in, that, in those specific areas or, you know, whatever their specific question is. So is there one particular really odd question somebody's asked you at some point? It's usually, what is this rash? And I'm like, uh, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to be a dermatologist and a pharmacist, I guess. There's some things that are easily identifiable, but other things are just, uh, you know, they need to be seen by a specialist for, for whatever reason. Well, DJ, how can I be of service to you since you now live your life being of service to others? Yep. Um, so I've got about $240,000 in, in, uh, in uh, student loans. Um, Whoa! Yeah, pharmacy school is expensive. Um, it's almost three times the normal cost as it was about uh, 10, 15 years ago. Wow! Um, yeah. Uh, and no uh, so loans, these are, no, are these, no are these um, grad uh, plus loans? What kind of loans are these? Are these private or these... They are all uh, mixed with uh, grad plus loans and Stafford loans, all, all federal loans. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Okay, so I was shallow breathing. Now I can breathe again. So they're, they're yeah. all <laughs> um, federal. What kind of yeah, rates do they carry? Um, I've got an average percentage of about uh, 6%. Some are at, at higher percentages. Uh, some are at 35 Some are at 75 um, But an average is around 6 Okay. All right. Well, how are we going to tackle these? That was my uh, question exactly. Um, so I don't, I don't have any other type of debt. Um, I do plan on purchasing a house in the next year, year and a half. I'm getting married. Congratulations. Um, so to, thank you. Thank you. Just trying to get your, uh, your opinion or your advice on how, um, you know, how should, I should go about it. Uh, I don't have any other you know, monthly payments or anything. If I should go all in on the student loans or, you know, yeah, so so it's hard because, um, you know, if you don't save any money at all for various purposes, it's like you get a step behind. But at the same time, particularly with loans at 7.5%, that's like tying both hands behind your back. So yeah. let's talk strategy. So as a pharmacist, you're earning pay probably about half of what your student loan debt is, I would guess. Uh-huh. All right. So that's that makes it a heavy burden. Generally, once your student loan debt exceeds what you're earning in a year, it does make these decisions much more complicated. So the uh, where you're working as a pharmacist, do they have any kind of retirement plan that you're eligible for? Uh, they do, yeah. yeah they do. And do they offer a match on that? Uh, yeah, they match. Uh, there's a certain maximum percentage that they max. All right, so barring everything else you want to accomplish in your life, the first thing you do is you put into that retirement plan to grab all that match money. Okay. Whatever you have to do there. Or like a Roth IRA? I'm sorry? Like a 401k Roth IRA or something? Yeah, they probably, the the employer probably offers a 401k or a Roth 401k. And you want to be in that and grab 100% of the match. Whatever you have to put in. And that takes money off the table that you could be putting towards a down payment on a house, paying toward the student loans or whatever. But that's got to come first because it's free money. Yeah. And it it keeps you from falling behind on saving for retirement. And then what I would do is I would come up with a plan how much you'd have to put aside each month 
to pay the minimums required on the three and a half and the six, mm-hmm. and then what the minimum would be on the seven and a half, and then whatever surplus money you can free up in your budget, mm-hmm. take half of it and put towards the principal of the seven and a half percent loan every month, mm-hmm. and the other half in an account to start saving down payment for your house. Yeah, that is that is exactly what I've been doing. Uh, you know, I've been listening to you for a while. Um, my dad actually recommended me to you, and and he, his his strategy is exactly the same as yours. So. And and again, it's not. There's no hundred percent right answer here. Oh, yeah. But that's the baseline of priorities. Okay. And then once you finish paying off the seven and a half. Um, mm-hmm. then you would turn your attention to the next highest rate. The lowest priority, obviously, is the 3.5% borrower. Yep. So yep. That, that's down the list. Well, best to you, and I hope that you can serve people for a very long time. And the punchline, the toughest question I have to ask you, Yeah, go ahead. Does your intended no that you've got a quarter million dollars in student loan debt? She knows. She knows. (laughs) And it didn't scare her away. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Well, that is true love that she's willing to to get involved in that. But with the income that you'll grow over time and with the discipline you show, you'll hit your goals. I can tell. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Daryl's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Daryl. Hi, Clark. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Certainly, Daryl. You want to talk old debt. Yeah, you know, um, I've been listening to you for years on the radio and your TV show. And I remember, uh, God, it must be at least 10 years ago, I heard you say, talking about California law, which is where I am, that if you manage to go four years where you owe a debt and there hasn't been any kind of payment or arrangement or promise to pay, that after four years it becomes uncollectible basically. Right. It doesn't mean it can't be on your credit report, but it, you can't be sued against it. And uncollectible means only that you can't be sued, but they can a collection agency can hassle you about it for the next 30 years if they want to. Right. And, I, and my goal is to try to raise my credit score, and I want to do something about that. I didn't want to... I mean, I wasn't trying to get away with anything with this debt, but it really frustrates these uh, collectors when they call me, and I let them know that. And then they get a new kind of nasty attitude about it and, you know, uh, insulting. Don't you know, talk they can to be. Don't talk to <laughs> Well, here's the thing is that it is on my credit report. And, my, and I was wondering that uh, I have about three of them. And, and how um, old are each of them? 
One of them is a, a big name bank credit card that's uh, probably about five years old, five or six years old. And then I have um, another one that's, a, you know, it's only about a couple of years. It's about like $1,100 to a, a cell phone company. And then another one that's a, a cable company that's only a few hundred dollars. And they're the ones that call the most. So, And how old is that I one? Try to, that one that's probably about three to four, about four years old. Okay. And if you were to get a copy of your credit report, which you can do for free at annualcreditreport.com, Mm-hmm. Or you can sign up to set up a personal dashboard at creditkarma.com, and you can see your stuff whenever you want. It'll show the aging of those accounts, and it's not based on when they went to collection. It's based on when they went delinquent originally. And right. so once you hit seven years, those things have to leave your report. Oh, they have to leave... Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. They have yeah. to leave your report even if they, they can't keep putting it on your uh, your record there. Huh? Right. It's gone. So okay, any, any payment you make after seven years, if you pay a partial payment, this is a trap, they can refresh and start the seven years over. So then what I should do is just what I intend to deal with it and, and pay it off then. Exactly, and you, need, and you need in writing before you pay them any money that whatever payment you've agreed to is payment in full and release from the debt. That was my question because the the most recent one from the cable company said that uh, you know they made me an offer that if I paid that offer, it's like like say that you owe five hundred, then they'll accept three hundred. That they have to report that it was a settlement and not paid in full. And I said, why can't you make it paid in full? And they said, well, we can't by law. Uh, and I no, said, there's well, no law sure, that that's, there's no law that says that. That's the regular. That's the procedures and guidelines for the credit reporting agencies. That does not have force of law. But so they can they can report how they wish. But the thing is, I'm much more interested in the number of years these have to run. And whether you're outside of statute on all of them, that shifts the balance of power to you as the person who owes the money, and the clock ticks potentially in your favor as these things move towards seven years. So you but negotiate to, from a, uh... you negotiate from a position of strength, not weakness. And the key you want to pay honor your debts, but you want to make sure they don't use it as a way to burn you. And that's why you never pay a collection agency anything. So you have in writing, in writing, it can be an email, but it has to be in writing, that whatever you've agreed to is constitutes payment in full, and you have that clearly written, not said to you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show, are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bassanetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. 
You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff. And their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.